you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. Welcome back to Season 9 of Biblical Counseling Today, where this season we've dedicated it to all things culture. Every generation has its cultural issues to deal with, and we must be equipped in our own thinking so we can train the next generation. Now, we often talk about culture wars today. Well, Wikipedia has an entry for that concept, which is quite interesting. According to them, a culture war is a cultural conflict between social groups and the struggle for dominance of their values, beliefs, and practices. It commonly refers to topics on which there is general societal disagreement and polarization in societal values. So just like nations, cultures are often at war with one another. That makes sense, doesn't it? It is in our nature as humans to seek dominance, to have our views be accepted by all others. Why would you be a part of a culture you didn't want others to join? And why would you let another culture take away the things and practices you enjoy and the beliefs you are committed to? But there's another aspect to the culture war we always find ourselves in. Instead of fighting against another culture, we can just passively surrender to it and accept it as our very own. Now, sometimes we surrender because it's a losing cause and we are in such a small minority. But other times we actually switch camps and embrace what the other culture is teaching and promoting. Then there's the more subtle message that says we are supposed to always be open to other cultural ideas, listen to them, and learn from them. This sounds so much more innocent as well as compassionate, doesn't it? Now, if we were just talking about learning about Chinese culture or Brazilian culture, that would be one thing. But this isn't where we find ourselves as Christians. We are regularly being pressured to embrace cultures that are antithetical to Christianity and to God's word. There is absolutely no room for us to learn and listen to these cultures at all. They must be fully rejected. And we must not just be passive out of a feeling that it's a losing battle. The culture of the kingdom of God is always on the winning side, whether it seems like it or not. God's word is clear that we're always in a spiritual battle and the victory is the Lord's. So as we continue to look at all things culture, remember that we are fighting for Jesus and we are on the winning side. Cultures of darkness must be defeated, and the people who embrace them must be converted to the culture of light. In this episode, we'll dig down deep into the gender culture and seek to defeat it with the truth of God's Word. If you look up the word gender in today's dictionary, you will get multiple definitions. The first one may be something like this, either of the two sexes, male and female. Or a second definition, 
The term gender is used more broadly to denote a range of identities that do not correspond to established ideas of male and female. So the cultural issue at hand is not the first definition, right? Guided by a Christian ethic and biblical truth, we have long embraced the fact that there are just two genders anchored to the two sexes, male and female. In other words, sex and gender are the same thing. The battle today is over this new second definition, the broadening of the term gender to now denote a range of identities. So what are some of these gender identities that people now embrace? Well, here's a short list in alphabetical order. First, agender. That's a person who does not identify with any particular gender or may have no gender at all. This includes the terms neutral gender, null gender, and genderless. Then there's androgen. This is a person who identifies as both masculine and feminine, or somewhere between masculine and feminine. Then there's the term bigender. This person has two genders, which to me sounds sort of like the last one. And then there's the term gender expansive. This is an individual who broadens the cultural norms of a particular gender. Or how about gender fluid? A person who says they're gender fluid is someone who shifts between or outside of society's expectations of gender. Then my personal favorite, gender outlaw. This is a person who refuses to allow society's definition of male or female to define them. Then maybe you've heard of gender queer. This, again, is another attempt to express one's identity as outside of how society defines gender or simply an identification with a combination of genders. This next one, I have to admit I've never heard before, called masculine of center. This is a person who is usually a lesbian or a transgendered person who leans more toward masculine performances. And then there's non-binary. This person does not experience gender within the gender binary. There's omnigender. This person experiences and possesses all genders. Now the question is, how many is that? And then there's polygender and pangender. These are people who display parts of multiple genders. Okay, that's more than enough to get the idea. When you discard the notion of there being only two genders, male and female, the Pandora's box of gender opens wide. Any and every gender expression becomes legitimate. But in all of this new gender identification, the most important term for us to understand is that of transgender. It is the umbrella term for persons whose gender identity, gender expression, or gender behavior does not conform to that typically associated with the sex to which they were, quote, assigned at birth. So to sum up this new culture of gender, there are basically two types of people in this world. Cisgender, those whose gender identity conform with their birth assignment, and transgender, those people who don't. 
As Christians, this is our first and most fundamental battle line. Will we accept this distinction, that there are two different types of people in the world defined by how they identify themselves? Now, as Christians, we must be clear why we will not accept this distinction. There are certainly men who don't want to identify as men and women who don't believe they are women. So we can accept the fact that there are many troubled, confused people who don't want to accept how God created them. But to put these people in a group and call them transgendered is to communicate that this is a good and normal way to think and live. And more sadly, it sends the message that transgenderism is something that is unchangeable, something a person can't help. Even more foundationally, this goes to the heart of identity. We live in a culture today that says that each person has the right and power to choose his or her own identity. But I don't want to get ahead of myself quite yet. There's one last element that has become part of this new culture of gender, the use of gender pronouns. This is something that we would have laughed about not too long ago. But now we are told that we must take very seriously the ways people want to be referred to as far as pronouns go. Here's an example from a college website. I'll be kind and not use the name of the college. Blank College is committed to valuing and validating the gender identity and expression of members of the campus community. Gender identity refers to an individual's internal sense of gender regardless of the sex assigned to them at birth or the sex designation on their legal documents. One way that Blank College seeks to create gender-inclusive academic living and work environments is by encouraging all members of the campus community to indicate the pronouns they use for themselves, if desired, in classes, residence halls, workplaces, and other settings, and by encouraging members of the campus community to respect these pronouns. So, we can now tell others what pronouns to use when they speak to us or about us, and we all must respect these pronouns. My own daughter, who's a sophomore in college, called me recently and said she was asked in the first day of the new semester what pronoun did she want to be referred to. I told her, just say, call me hey you. Of course, this list of pronouns that you can choose from is long and continues to grow. In addition to he and she, a person may want to be called fe or a or they or per or z or v or z. Again, I guess you can no longer just say hey you. There are even apps you can get on your phone that can help train you to use your pronouns properly. Again, all this goes to the heart of a culture that believes it can self-identify in any and every way. No longer are we to stick with what we are assigned at birth. In other words, we no longer must adhere to what God has created us to be. Now let's work on how to biblically engage this culture of gender. For all of us who are parents or grandparents, we must first address how we educate and train our children. Hopefully, you fully understand that the worldly culture is aggressively educating the next generation. 
They're aggressively educating your children on this issue. This education is coming through their screens as they watch TV shows, movies, and on social media. If they are in public and even many private schools, they are being educated on gender all the time. So if you are assuming that they know the truth about gender, don't. They must hear from you. They must hear from many Christians in their lives. We must speak, train, teach, and correct. But where do we begin? Well, first we go to God's word. This is always our starting place. We must not begin with emotion or anger or by just saying that all this transgender stuff is wrong. We must teach what is right. The best place to start on this issue is Genesis 1. Of course, Genesis 1 through 3, those chapters are so essential for all of our culture wars. They set the created order for us as God has designed it. So in Genesis 1.27, we read these words. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This verse teaches us much about gender identity, doesn't it? And even about pronouns. Well, think about these foundational truths. So God created man. Our gender isn't assigned by a doctor or our parents. It's not just something on a legal document. God is the creator. He gives us our sexual identity, our gender. So God created man in his own image. We must teach our children that all human beings are image bearers. We are made in the likeness of our creator. We are called to reflect that image, even though sin has marred that image. Again, our identity is found in our creator, not in ourselves. This is key. What most identifies us is not how we feel about ourselves, but that we are created in the image of God. Then the next part of the verse, in the image of God, he created him. So here we have, again, a reference to gender pronouns, don't we? God is he. Man is him. Later we read that male and females together are them. When woman is created, God brings her to Adam. He and she are how we talk about a man and a woman. We don't get to make up new pronouns. We don't get to choose our own pronouns. And then finally, we read that last part of the verse. Male and female, he created them. Humankind is divided into two gender groups, men and women not cisgender and transgender, not a full spectrum of various genders and non-genders. Then you can even point your children to the story of the ark and Noah to show how animals are also divided into males and females. God brings them in two by two, male and female. There are no transgendered animals, even if Hollywood tries to tell your children differently. Then from that foundation, it is essential we go deeper with our children to what biblical counseling today is all about, to the heart of the matter.
Soon after Adam and Eve were created, they rebelled against God and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They chose to glorify and satisfy self rather than glorify and be satisfied in God. And so every child of Adam, every human being is born with a sinful heart. We are born in rebellion against God. We all rebel. But that rebellion looks different in each of our lives. The transgendered, as they call themselves, are rebelling against how they were created. Whether they realize it or not, or say it or not, they are shaking their fists at God and saying that he will not determine their sexuality. He will not give them their identity. They alone will determine their gender. Your children can understand rebellion, right? They don't always want to obey. They want control over their world. They want to determine their own lives. In the language of the gender culture, they want to self-identify. This comes from a heart of rebellion against God and his good creation. Now, you have to make sure you don't lead your children to be self-righteous and lack compassion for other people. It is not only the transgendered who are rebelling. We, again, are all born rebels. And it is only by the grace of God that rebels can be rescued and turned into children of God. But then you could teach your children that from a sinful, rebellious heart, we also have confused minds. People can become confused about their genders for very simple reasons or more complicated ones. It can be as simple as not liking the same activities as other boys or girls or not enjoying male or female clothing. Or there can be a whole host of reasons connected to relationships and mental and emotional issues. The point is that your children should relate to how easy we get confused about ourselves, how easy we get confused about other people, about this world, and about God. That's why we need to continue to be brought back to truth and to be renewed in our minds. So do not neglect to teach your children God's word and apply it to the cultural moment we find ourselves in. Don't just wait for their questions. Keep repeating yourself, showing them God's way, their own hearts, and the battle for their mind. Use all of God's word and pray that the Spirit will apply it to their hearts. Now let's move on to how we and our children should respond to those who are gender confused and gender rebellious. The biblical foundation in all our relationships is speaking the truth in love. We must be moved by compassion for others, and we must be messengers of the truth as well. I think the best way to start on this question is what sort of relationship we have with a person who is expecting us to use a certain pronoun or be called by a certain name. I have often said, by way of illustration, that if I ever run into Caitlyn Jenner, I will call him Bruce, since he will always be Bruce Jenner to me, Olympic decathlon champion. Yet the reality is that I'll probably never run into Caitlyn or Bruce. And if I did, would I really call him Bruce now that he is fully transitioned to a female? Probably not. So let's start with some reality with those people who are acquaintances to us. In the case of our children, they may be a child in their school class or a neighborhood kid. With very little relationship, the rule of thumb should be that we use the name or pronoun that the person uses for himself or herself. This is a wisdom decision that demonstrates grace and mercy 
not an approval of the behavior. Now, this certainly may feel to you like capitulation or an unwillingness to fight the cultural battle. But Ephesians 6.12 reminds us that our fight is not against people, against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of this dark world. It may be that the Lord opens an opportunity to talk with this acquaintance and share the truth in love. But from a distance, the wise thing to do is to relate to the person with the name and identity they are projecting. But it's a different ball game when it comes to close friends or family members, anyone we have a true relationship with. This gets more messy because we have a greater responsibility to speak truth with love. But also there's a greater risk that we can lose a friend or a cousin or a sibling. So we still need to apply wisdom in each situation. With a close relationship, we can be honest and forthright if we have the courage to do so. But we can also be compassionate and caring at the same time. In our next podcast, we'll navigate through the relationships that may come out of a new gender lifestyle. There'll be even more choices like if you go to your cousin's gay wedding or not. Close family and friends bring more pain and challenges, that's for sure. So what do we say to close friends and family members? Of course, it depends on the situation, but here are some guidelines to teach your children and to use yourself. First, start with I language. Say things like, I am having difficulty calling you by your new name, or I am struggling with your identity choice. Then speak of God's standards, not your own. What do you believe God's view of your new identity is? What does the Bible say about gender and sexuality? Then third, ask good questions to understand how the person is thinking. What led you to make this change? Why is it important to you for me to agree with it and accept this new identity? But then next, you must always express your love. Even though I disagree with this choice and believe it to be wrong, that doesn't change my love for you. You can also talk about change. So if you made this change, you believe in change. Does that mean you will change identities again in the future? What does that look like? And then finally, always talk about identity. How does your new identity fit with identifying as a Christian? Who or what do you really identify with? Now, what we also have to touch on is how essential it is that we not operate out of fear when we respond to others who have a new gender identity or teach our children to fear them. While I understand the fears about the public bathroom issue with transgendered people, Christians still must not respond in fear and anger on a personal level. Yes, we must protect our children depending on the situation. But we protect them the best by equipping them with the full armor of God. And the weapons that we have as Christians are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, not fear and anger. We must trust God to be our defense as we respond with love and truth. What we always must strive for is a response that glorifies God and shows other people the true love of Christ. But we also live with the reality that the gospel of Jesus Christ divides. 
We are not divided between transgendered and cisgendered, but between Christian and non-Christian. No, I'm not saying that all transgendered are non-Christians and certainly not all cisgendered are Christians. But the true cultural divide is always the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. So that means your stand may cost you a friend or even a family member, but it should only be because of Christ, not because of our fear or anger or hatred. Our love for God is what divides. In our last segment here, we need to talk about how we help those caught up in false gender identities. I have done a podcast on this topic in the past, but I want to think a bit more about it from the perspective of helping a family member or a close friend. In the LGBTQ plus culture, there is only one way to help, and that's by becoming an ally. What an interesting choice of terms. An ally is someone who joins with another person or group or nation to provide help and support. The LGBTQ plus community expects people to come alongside and give them the support they desire. That means we are only allowed to do the following things. Listen, not speak, only listen. Become comfortable with the uncomfortable. Support and encourage, advocate for LGBTQ plus equality and rights. And of course, again, be respectful and use proper pronouns. So let's go back to that ally imagery for a moment. The U.S. has traditionally been an ally of Israel. So that means, among other things, that if Israel is attacked by a foreign nation, then we would step in to help protect them. Is that the best way to help someone caught in a false gender identity? Now, you may have to protect a friend or family member from someone who is being a bully or verbally abusing him or her. We are called to protect anyone who is being abused or victimized. But we have a higher calling to protect them from the true enemies, Satan and their own sinful flesh, and of course, the world. The transgendered are in a war for their souls, and we must stand up to help them, to help them resist Satan and their own sinful desires. That is a true Christian ally. That is a true friend, one who will advocate for them with the Father, not for their rights in this world. Should we listen to someone who embraces a false gender identity? Certainly. We are called to listen to the stories and the hearts of other people. That's what we do as biblical counselors. But we're listening with a purpose, not to accept, not to embrace, but to engage in a way that offers help, true help that leads to biblical change. Change that begins with biblical knowledge. It's not the transgendered who need to educate the cisgendered, but the Christian who must educate the non-Christian. In the eyes of the transgender community, we are simply uncomfortable with anyone who is different. Is that true? Do you come across as simply rejecting those who make you uncomfortable? Maybe you do. But this is not the true issue. Hopefully, anything outside of God's ways makes the Christian uncomfortable. 
we should not be comfortable with sin. Part of the culture war feeds on being outside of what's considered normal in society. We must be careful not to be sucked into that paradigm. God is the one who says what is normal and what is not. Not us, not society. Now, part of helping someone who is truly confused about their gender is talking through what normal masculinity and normal femininity is. There are cultural norms, and then there are biblical norms. Some are the same, some are not. For example, if a man thinks he is really a woman because he doesn't like sports or is more artistic and emotional, this doesn't mean he is really a woman. Being a man is much more than loving football or being non-emotional. Much more. The lack of teaching about godly manhood and womanhood has contributed to some of the confusion people have today about gender. To truly encourage someone who is struggling with identifying with his or her own gender, we must point them to Jesus and how their true identity always must be in Christ. If you think about it, finding our identity merely in our gender or sexuality only makes an idol out of self. Our gender is not our true self when our self is in Christ. As I close out these thoughts on a biblical response to the false culture of gender, I want to again challenge us all to keep discipling the next generation. The internet is full of efforts to educate your child. One such website falsely claiming to be about helping kids has pages dedicated to encourage children to express their inner gender identity. Here's a direct quote. If you feel safe and ready to start expressing your gender identity, consider taking some small steps, like making changes to the way you dress, how you wear your hair, or the gender pronouns you use. We want our children to change, but not in this way. We want our children to change to be more like Christ, not embrace a new gender identity. We want our children to feel safe in Christ, not simply in their sexuality. Christians have work to do in this culture of gender we're living in. It already feels like many people are accepting that changing genders is just a part of life. Even Christians can passively accept this as the new normal. At the same time, we're dealing with real people here, not just a new cultural shift. Do we care enough about people's souls that we will engage them and bring them the truth in Christ? Or do we just write people off who transition to a new gender? Hopefully, we're willing to step into difficult situations and stand for what is right in the kingdom of God and trust that the all-powerful Spirit of God can bring much-needed change to people's lives in all areas of idolatry through broken but redeemed instruments like us. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.